0: Hill country institute live exploring christ and culture this is larry Schmidt, your host and we're excited to have an ongoing conversation about issues of concern and interest to the body of christ hill country institute live brings guests together with you to talk about issues of vital interest in our lives today we visit the life and works of giants of another day such as c.s lewis and tolkien and also spend time with people in ministries doing creative work to fight human trafficking feed the poor create quality art, be good stewards of the environment, and much more, all with the heart and mind of Christ. If you're interested in learning about the programs of the Hill Country Institute and hearing and seeing presentations from our conferences on faith and science, faith and art, and other subjects, visit hillcountryinstitute.org. We promise in this show to show the heart and mind of Christ, to treat guests and callers with respect, even if we disagree, and to be true to the historic Christian faith. Very fortunate today to have as our special guest, John Namey. John is CEO of Allies Against Slavery, and that's a community network that works to make Austin a slave-free city. We're going to be talking a lot about the work of Allies Against Slavery, but John, uh, John has a lot of experience. He's, he's worked in places around the world. He's been in London. He's been in Sydney, Australia. He studied at Vanderbilt, and he worked at the uh, Social Justice Think Tank in London and in an international nonprofit called Blood and Water Mission, trying to bring people uh, uh, Action Against AIDS and Bringing Clean Water to People. So John, welcome. We're glad you're here today.
1: Thank you, Larry. It's great to be with you. So
0: it's uh, it's been very interesting to learn about allies against slavery. But let's talk a little bit about you first. Uh, you've got a you've got a new addition to your family recently.
1: I do. My wife Rachel and I have our first daughter. Her name is Mira Grace. Uh, she's now four months old, and she's changed everything. It's uh, it's been beautiful to have her now as a part of the family.
0: Wonderful. Well, there's some great pictures posted with you and her on Facebook. You know, you seem to have the biggest smile that one could have. <laughs> Proud
1: Papa. And uh, you know, it's it's radio. I show everybody who is listening in right now pictures of her if I could
0: that's great well yeah that's that's a disadvantage of radio you can't see John's big smile or pictures of the baby but uh, I've always been told I've got a great face for radio so we're probably in the right (laughs) medium (laughs) but yeah you've worked with some NGOs and other organizations overseas Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how did that help to prepare you for what you're doing now here in Texas
1: I have known from an early age that my life's work in some way was going to be about helping people who are on the margins. It was going to be about the work of justice, whether it was helping the poor, um, the outcast. And historically, I thought that that would take place overseas in an international context. My wife and I actually first connected and really fell in love around some shared interests in travel and Mm -hmm. being abroad. And so some of those experiences that you hinted at with the Center for Social Justice in London and uh, in Sydney, Australia, even the work of Bloodwater Mission had that international focus. But the common themes were really around how can we find justice for Populations on the margins who don't have that justice, who are facing some form of injustice.
0: Because ju- justice is, is, in a sense, the umbrella term. When we're talking about human trafficking, it's more a subset of justice. Mm-hmm. And so we, when we think of justice, we, we should think about fair wages. We should think about stopping human trafficking. We, we should think about the lowliest, the poor amongst us.
1: Absolutely. I love um, Ken Weissema, who's the founder of the Justice Conference, also defines mm-hmm. justice as right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. And it's that last piece, right relationship with each other. We think about, we look around ourselves and see which relationships around us aren't right and how do we make those right. And when we think about people being enslaved, and we'll talk more about that, mm-hmm. that jumps off the page as as a relationship to another person that's out of out of sync, that's yeah. not right.
0: Reminds me of the old show Lost in Space, and there was this robot, and when something was wrong, it would go, danger, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> well, we, we've kind of got danger here, don't we? We do, yeah. In Ken's book, uh, there's a, a kind of a mosaic of the issues that are involved in justice, and and how we're to, to bring out righteousness and love and mercy and service and charity and ethics and truth and integrity, and we're to use the law to do those things. And it, it's a it's a much fuller image, I think, than than what we typically uh, think of, isn't it?
1: It is. It it really seeks to bring that shalom, right, or that peace, that wholeness to a situation that both has an economic dimension, it has a social di- dimension, it has a legal dimension. And so um, justice is, is more beyond the scope of just social justice, but it does seek mm-hmm. to really bring that peace to the entire person.
0: Sure. Well, now, when we're, when we're thinking about our, what you do in, in, in the work of Allies Against Slavery, the term human trafficking, it's, it's just a part of our lexicon now. You know, I'm not sure it really was 20 years ago. Slavery had been, but now human trafficking uh, and and it's a global issue. So tell us what what does human trafficking really mean? How do you how do you think about that in the terms of our world today?
1: I think even as recent as 5 years ago, that term would not have been as commonly used as it is now, but human trafficking, which is is used synonymously with slavery, modern day slavery. And and people may be thinking, gosh, slavery, that brings to mind William Wilberforce, Abraham Lincoln. It's something from a bygone era. I thought Mm -hmm. we've taken care of that. And and the unfortunate truth is that slavery is alive and well. Human trafficking is alive and well. It's a global problem. $32 billion industry worldwide. And the International Labor Organization estimates that 21 million people are enslaved today. And Mm -hmm. the core definition of slavery really is the exploitation of one person through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the profit of another person. And that can happen both through uh, what we call labor trafficking, and it can also happen through sex trafficking, and sometimes both. Uh, often the line between the two is blurred.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it seems that when when something goes wrong in relationship and someone, you know, you know, the Nazis, wiping out uh, as many Jews as they possibly could, a, a ethnic conflict in a country. There's some dehumanization that goes on. There's, there's a loss. As Christians, you're made in the image of God. That means that you should have a certain level of respect for me. But if I'm using somebody to work in a sweatshop or to apply the sex trade, I've taken that basic humanity uh, away from them in my mind. Is that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It, it requires the view that that person is a commodity, an ends, uh, a means to an ends, right? And you begin to treat them as such. And and human beings were never uh, meant to be commodities, mm-hmm. never meant to be bought and sold. And so yeah. um, in its very core uh, element of this crime, it requires the dehumanization of the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. And we talk often about the need then. To seek uh, greater empathy and teach young people how to have empathy so that that first interaction with another human uh, is based on that real relationship rather than one where we begin to justify yeah. actions of uh, injustice against one another.
0: Mm-hmm. So if, if you look on a global scale, uh, the, the idea of human trafficking, you mentioned that there's, there's a labor component. And there's a sex trade component. I think the sex trade is, is what we would ordinarily just naturally think of. Uh, tell us more about the labor side. Where, where does that take place? What sort of labor? What countries? Et cetera.
1: Yeah. The interesting thing about those statistics globally, the International Labor Organization broke down the percentages of people that are enslaved, that 21 million, and found that 18 million of them are enslaved through labor trafficking or uh, other forms of forced labor, um, indentured servitude, um, bonded labor. And so you see that the vast majority, actually, of modern slaves are exploited through uh, means of their work, and that can look like um, being exploited in an agriculture agricultural context, uh, on farms, not being paid fair wages. It can also look like uh, child labor in the fishing industry in Ghana. It can look like um, workers being exploited in the mines that source the minerals that go into the electronics in our cell phones, uh, the cotton fields in Uzbekistan. Uh, virtually every big industry in the world when you trace uh, the way back through the supply chain and look at those source those source minerals or source materials, uh, you'll often find that at the bottom of those supply chains, slavery does exist.
0: Well, I took, uh, in, in preparing for this uh, program, uh, I found a site where it asks you about things around the house. You may I can't remember the name of the site right now. And Slavery you, and Footprint. Slavery Footprint, that's mm-hmm. it, good, thanks. And so I went through it and at the end, I was startled to find that just just based on a quick it wasn't even a complete just just something quick to get through it I employ 65 slaves. That that just made me sick.
1: It's a a wonderful resource to actually bring it yeah. close to home and to understand how something that can seem so far away that's just happening to someone else somewhere else actually through those global supply chains through the products we buy the people that we employ that we actually do influence this issue all overseas
0: okay so if i'm if if, if I buy a soccer ball, the Chinese plant that built that may have had people working twenty one hour days if exactly. i if I have a cell phone and in the republic- republic of congo i believe the uh Dalton, D-O-L-T-A-N. It's a material I wasn't familiar with, but it's in electronics. Slavery uh, in the in the mining of that material absolutely sweatshops to make my sneakers i mean it's it's ubiquitous
1: it is and it's uh, incredibly eye-opening and it can feel a little debilitating because we look around and think gosh it's in everything that we that we buy everything we lay our hands on Mm -hmm. but i think that also opens up an opportunity right for us to use our purchasing power to demand greater transparency from these companies these industries Mm -hmm. and to be thoughtful about what we buy and whether or not it is connected to uh, exploitative situations
0: sure but we're so we're so if we're thinking about uh, any anything that's manufactured in a developing country, if anything that's mined in a developing country, the the fishing industry, I mean, it's not it it any area of life is subject to this kind of human degradation and and, and usage of people who are weak and can't avoid being used for whatever reason.
1: It is. I, I think that anywhere you have. Um... The law of supply and demand, and anywhere there aren't the right protections for those who may be vulnerable, those who may be poor, um, who are seeking opportunities, there's the opportunity to exploit them for their labor,
0: mm-hmm. their work. Mm-hmm. Gosh, uh, it, it's, it's astounding, you know, because in, in the United States, we, we tend, there's a poor neighborhood, but we don't think of a human bondage being there. I do think of that more in the, in the context of a Filipino uh, sex bordello or mining in South Africa. But it's there is no no place and we're going to go in the next segment more into Texas, but there's no place that's uh, exempt if you will.
1: There's not. Going. It's every every corner of the globe. Uh it really is a global problem. And globalization and sort of the the global expansion of our markets today has actually fueled uh the possibilities for that exploitation as well.
0: Mhm. It's incredible. So, uh John said, are you familiar with any stories of, of things you've seen personally or seen seen in movies of some of the stories of, of what people are really doing?
1: Well, I think, you know, my story is that I saw a film in 2007 um, called Call and Response that actually first uh, opened my eyes to this issue. And it focused on the, the global nature of this problem. And I remember thinking there is no way that in the 21st century, the world that I live in, that people could be enslaved and treated this way and just feeling uh, this sort of disbelief followed closely by a righteous anger. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I left the film thinking, I have got to do something about this. I remember walking out of the theater and my very next thought was, I have no idea what to do about this because it seemed so far away my only option felt like getting on a plane, flying to Southeast Asia or to Africa, and Mm -hmm. kicking down the door of a brothel. And quite frankly, it didn't seem like a reality at the time. So I pushed it out of sight and out of mind. And it wasn't until I actually came back to the fact and learned that it happened in the United States, in my state, in my hometown, that I actually realized, hey, there is something I can do about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, in the next section I want to talk about what's local in our reality here in Texas. But uh, we're heading into a, to a break now. Uh, I invite all of you that are listening to visit the Hill Country Institute website. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We have recordings and videos from our past conferences there on topics such as the spiritual formation of C.S. Lewis, faith in science, and faith in art. Speakers include Eugene Peterson, Alistair McGrath, Andy Crouch, Steve Meyer, Walter Kaiser, and many others. And if you're looking for gifts, we have CDs and DVDs that make wonderful gifts. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. And we also invite you to visit and like our Hill Country Institute page on Facebook. We'll be back shortly. <music> Welcome back to Hill Country Institute Live. This is Larry linen your host. And I'm here with John Namey, CEO of Allies Against Slavery. John, we're sure glad you're here.
1: Glad to have this conversation, Larry.
0: <laughs> Thank you. John, We at the beginning or at the end of the last uh, section, just before we went into the break, we began to talk about Allies Against Slavery. And you and you said that, in, as I recall, in 2010, a lot of people came together with different organizations that all shared a passion and a desire to make our area slave-free.
1: That's right. We came together both organizations and individuals who uh, had this shared interest, this shared vision for the city, and began to say, okay, what does it really look like here? Can we figure that out? And what can we do about it on a community-wide, on a city-wide level Mm -hmm. to actually begin to move the needle on this problem? So many people and organizations talk about ending slavery, but what does that even mean? How do we even uh, measure if we do that? And we realize that if we really want to end an issue that's as systemic and as ingrained in what I mean by systemic is ingrained in the systems of our culture, Mm -hmm. of our economies, of our cities, then we're going to have to hit every key sector of the city strategically in a coordinated way to actually begin to measure how we're, we're preventing this problem from happening, how we're intervening and rescuing victims, how we're providing aftercare for those victims and survivors, and then how we're helping them reintegrate back into society. And that's a job that is so much bigger than any one organization can take on. So at its core, Allies, as the name implies, is mm-hmm. inherently collaborative and, and is coordinating those efforts of our partner organizations and other individuals.
0: Well, the Hill Country Institute has always believed in partnering, you know, as we put on C.S. Lewis conferences or, or work to bring people together around key issues like faith in art and faith in science. It's always about partnership, and I know you're working with organizations that are faith-based and not faith-based, but it just seems that, that God's methodology, God, the way that God's working today, is in the in the form of partnership, and so... Kudos.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I think you know collaboration and partnership is key. It's central. It's hard to do. It's it's a lot easier to work uh, in your own silo and isolation on your own program. But if we're if we're going to be serious about saying we're going to end slavery and do that with integrity, then it's going to require a lot of different people with a lot of different skills applying those skills. We often talk a lot about it, allies, that we we try to encourage people to use their unique sphere of influence, whether they are a doctor. Um, to serve. uh, There's a clinic now in Austin that is providing uh, care for survivors two nights of the week, right? Long-term care, health care for them. So doctors, lawyers, as we mentioned, businessmen and women creating business opportunities, both Mm -hmm. on the prevention side, so economic development, to reduce some of those vulnerabilities, but also Uh, for survivors as they're trying to move back into communities after their healing process and finding stable work environments. So all sorts of people, um, I would say the faith community has been central in the response uh, in Central Texas to this problem. Uh, All sorts of churches coming together around this issue. So all of those major sectors uh, continuing to work together alongside of our law enforcement uh, judges, the attorney general's office—it takes a lot of different folks.
0: Sure. Well, you, when we when we visited about the, this program and uh, the way that Allies works, it's been a it's been a real educational process for me. And I and I thank you for that and appreciate it but you, you mentioned that you have four pillars four key ways that you're approaching the problem and you you know you've been talking a bit about those because, because they flow through the conversation but that might be a good way for people who are, who are linear in their thought process you know to get to get four things in their mind that you're about
1: absolutely we we first uh, exist to bring people together to convene. So we create that space where um, monthly we meet at Space 12 in East Austin. Uh, Those meetings are open to the public. And uh, at those meetings and other meetings that we convene, we see uh, both individuals and organizations coming together. And that, that piece sometimes is harder to measure the success of, but I always, always see people collaborating, connecting, creative ideas come out of those meetings. So holding that space for people to connect.
0: So if people want to attend that meeting, how do they find out about where it is and when it takes place?
1: The best way to get information on that meeting is to go to alliesagainstslavery.org and to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Um, that newsletter goes out uh, twice each month, actually, to let people know of volunteer opportunities, to let people know when and where we're meeting. I can say almost every month it's the third Tuesday uh, of the month from 6 to 730 at Space 12 in East Austin.
0: Okay. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you get you off the pillars, but, but I wonder people, if they're thinking about that, so they could, they could quickly connect to, to getting in contact with you.
1: The second, the second pillar of our work, in addition to convening people, is to provide opportunities for engagement and volunteerism. And so uh, imagine a crawl, walk, run funnel of engagement where you may come to a monthly meeting and then you may find out gosh, I want to host a justice party, or I want to join one of the book clubs, or I want to volunteer um, with one of the partner organizations and activities they have, or one of the events Allies is hosting. So that that providing an on-ramp for engagement on this issue is the second pillar of our work. Um, we call that our grassroots strategy of really mobilizing people to engage. Um, the third piece of, of the work, the third pillar, is what we're calling our Slave-Free City Initiative. And that is the big picture stuff. That's what we've been talking about, of how do we coordinate and engage all of these different actors who have a role to play in doing their part of, of making sure we're preventing, we're intervening, we're providing good aftercare, and we're helping survivors reintegrate. Uh, and like I mentioned, it takes a lot of different types of organizations and a lot of different moving pieces. So that slave-free city piece is our strategic initiative. And then finally, we support local survivors. And so... Uh, We come alongside organizations who are caring for survivors in our city, organizations like Refugee Services of Texas, uh, organizations like Redeemed Ministries, and we um, help mobilize in-kind donations, whether it's uh, diapers for a new mom who's had a baby in the program, whether it's haircuts, dental work. Um, sometimes we will put together backpacks so that kids who are in the Survivors of Trafficking program can go to summer camps, back to school drives. So um, helping to be the bridge between some of the groups that are working hands-on with survivors and the broader community who wants to come alongside those individuals and help them in their healing journey.
0: Mm-hmm. So this, this aftercare, I mean, that's a, that's a huge issue, isn't it? When you, when you bring somebody out, so to speak— of, of this life, because you've you've got uh, you know their separation from their family, which might have been a good thing, it might have been a bad thing. But but you've got shame and guilt. You know, tell tell me about all the issues that someone has. I mean, don't talk about all of them. But we'll be here all day. But tell me tell me about some of the key things that that you're dealing with as you're helping people to put their life back together.
1: Gosh, you know, it's it's so different on almost a case by case basis, and I think that's one of the things that we're learning, Larry, mm-hmm. is that the care process, the aftercare process has to be personalized. It has to be focused on the needs of of that individual based on what they've experienced, the trauma they've experienced, their own story. And it looks different for um, victims who are foreign national, Mm -hmm. who have come to this country from another country, and their story is different from the 14-year-old who was born and raised in Houston and ran away from home and and fell in with the wrong crowd and so those traumas are different and those stories are different so the care looks different but inevitably we are addressing uh, ptsd um complex trauma there's uh physical needs um medical needs um there is emotional development work that has to be done um there's a spiritual component there's a friendship component um oftentimes uh these folks have felt alone, like they don't have community. So, coming around them is a big part of the work that these organizations who do the hands-on aftercare work with them engage with. Mm-hmm.
0: Is is that an opportunity for volunteers to be a friend to some some of these folks, or is this is this so intense that it's a, it's it's a professional's job?
1: You know, we would encourage uh, volunteers to engage in. Uh, The process much later in that healing journey. So, Mm -hmm. uh, in those first uh, months, years, it's not really a place where we could have hands on direct contact with those uh, survivors because we wouldn't want to re traumatize Mm -hmm. them. Um, So what we do is instead uh, there's letter writing, there's providing, like I said, those gifts of support, and those go a long way. You know, it'd be amazing um, if people could really understand the impact of a single gift card, right? Mm -hmm. And I've sat with um, an officer from the Austin Police uh, Human Trafficking Unit who articulates it so well and says, you know, we're trying to work with um, somebody to build a case against their trafficker, and they receive a gift from the community, they receive a gift card and a letter, and that goes a long way in helping them feel empowered, helping them realize that they're not alone, that there's community of people out there that are supporting them, thinking of them, praying for them. And then that has a ripple effect where mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're more confident and empowered in their own healing process. They're more uh, often open to working with law enforcement and building a case yeah. and transitioning them through that, that process. So there's a lot we can do even if
0: it's not hands on. Sure. At a, at a low point, a good work can can be so encouraging. I think of uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and at one point, he was giving up and he was laying down, and his f- friend came by. And this was when he was in prison, and his friend didn't say anything. He just wrote a cross in the dirt mm-hmm. and walked away. And it was it was the the reminder, you know, that there that there is a purpose, that there is a meaning, mm-hmm. and so having somebody care for you, and a gift card to Walmart. Target, whatever. I mean, that's the kind of thing you're, you're talking about. Yeah. And, and it's, it's real practical, isn't it? I mean, you need a haircut. I need a haircut today. But uh, you need diapers if you've got a baby. These are, these are just the real practical necessities mm-hmm. of life.
1: Yeah. And, and a gift card, you know, people may be thinking gift card, gosh. But when you think about it, somebody who has been a victim of trafficking has had almost all of their choices taken away from them. They've had no ability to make a decision on their own. Mm-hmm. Decisions are made for them. And so to have a gift card and be able to go to the store and make a decision with that card about something as simple as what to buy that day is incredibly empowering for them.
0: Sure. Well, we're going to need to take another break, and uh, I think I think the work of Allies Against Slavery is something we could end up talking about for a long time. It's big, it's complex, and it's important. So as we take a break, uh, uh, I would invite you again to visit the website of Hill Country Institute. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We hope we can be of assistance to you. So thanks, and we'll be back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back to Hill Country Institute Live. This is Larry linen I'm your host, and I'm delighted to have you with us. I'm also very pleased to have John Namey with us today. John is CEO of Allies Against Slavery, and they're doing some tremendous work to bring people together to fight human trafficking. Welcome back, John.
1: Thanks, Larry. It's great to be with you.
0: Thank you. John, we've been talking about uh, Allies Against Slavery being a networker, being a, a place for people to come together, that that share this interest in, maybe passion for setting people free Uh, sounds like the gospel doesn't it (laughs) yeah Uh, it does but uh, tell me how how do you how do your organizations actually work together do they do referrals do they share common cases what what's the methodology the
1: cases are are managed mainly through the central texas coalition against human trafficking those are uh, law enforcement agencies and social service providers here in central texas allies is the community bridge really between sort of everyone else who doesn't fit into that category and the coalition. So that would be churches, businesses, uh, school systems, um, right, uh, arts and media. And so we're connecting key uh, actors in those sectors with ways that they can engage in support of the coalition and those programs that the coalition has.
0: Mm -hmm. So if, if someone has an interest in this area, whether it's a specific type of project they'd like to be on a specific type of way or just they, they know a little bit about human trafficking and they think it's evil they want to do something about it uh, what can they do that's just me I'm just an individual
1: that's exactly the question I had when I as I mentioned earlier in the program saw a film about this got fired up and then thought gosh I don't even know what I can do about it and so one of the things that we talk a lot about is just simplifying the issue in some ways. It is so complex, but in simplest terms, there's a ton that we can do on the prevention side to really ensure that this doesn't happen. And I think the first thing, Larry, is for people to take a look at their own lives and say, am I living in a way that contributes to this problem or not. And that requires a bit of digging, a bit of education, right? So we may be aware of it, but to begin to really understand, okay, what's the nature of this problem? Are, are the clothes that I'm buying, were they made with cotton that was picked by slave workers in Uzbekistan? The chocolate that I'm eating, the electronics that I'm purchasing, right? And so to begin to say just a simple thing like that is the way that I'm living, the things that I'm buying, um, perhaps I'm consuming pornography. Perhaps I'm going to... Um, strip clubs or men's joints, right, and and not mm-hmm. necessarily seeing the connection between the commercial sex industry and something like sex trafficking. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say everybody engaged in the commercial sex industry is a victim of sex trafficking, but to become aware of saying, are sure. our patterns of living contributing to this or not?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, just uh, in, in terms of the impact at a personal level, I was just in a, in a setting in a conference where we talked about how a girl was leading a bible study and her friends weren't paying attention to her and it ended up that she was in a intimate relationship with her boyfriend and once that broke this small group came alive and it was like the girls came because they saw a reality and so the reality has to show through somehow in our life that we're actively thinking about what goes on behind the scenes I, 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 when i read that you know, the, the Chinese soccer ball factories work people 21 hours, I was astounded. I mean, you know, you've got all the soccer leagues, the soccer moms, but we're, we're built on that. And then the Dalton, the Dalton, I guess is how you pronounce it. I'm from East Texas. I can mispronounce just about anything. But the, the mining with slaves to make my cell phone. it's revolting.
1: It changes the way you look at those products. And you begin to see that in some way, even a small way, we might all be just a little bit complicit in this crime that's happening all over the world and especially in our own city. And so I think that's the easiest way. When people say, what can I do? I say, take a look at your own life and begin to change your own habits, your own patterns, because if we can't do that, we're not going to change the big picture. We're not going to be able to change systems.
0: So at some, at some level, this, this is a problem that goes way back into economic situations, poverty, and family relationships, because that's where the vulnerability starts. If there wasn't vulnerability, uh, people wouldn't become candidates, if you will. It's not like they're a candidate for a job, but they're a candidate for being misused and abused.
1: Absolutely. And I think that leads to the second thing that I would encourage people to do, Larry. So if if that first piece is to, to look at your own life, take a hard look and mm-hmm. and have an understanding of the issue and say, Am I living in a way that either contributes to this or fights this problem? I think the next thing you can do is to say, okay, am I going to be proactive in some ways that I can prevent this problem from happening or help those who have been affected by this make their way back into communities? And we talk a lot about mentorship programs, um, looking for kids who might be on the margins, who might exhibit signs of truancy, abuse. Um some of those vulnerabilities we talked about. So to go right to the heart of those vulnerabilities, those those places in our community, and to really begin to engage and reclaim those places to to pour into the lives of young people. We talk a lot about teachers uh, and school nurses having a huge responsibility to be able to identify kids that might be at risk of this. So there's a whole lot of things that we can begin to do on that prevention side that's sort of that next step of engagement, of, of doing something, taking action. So many people think that, to do something means you have to have the hands-on direct contact with, with victims like we talked about earlier. But there's so much more that you can do in a sort of ordinary way that actually goes a long way to prevent this problem from ever happening.
0: So Big Brother, Big Sister programs. Mm-hmm. Are, are Seedling
1: Foundation, great organization that mm-hmm. uh, is providing mentorship for kids who have uh, an incarcerated parent. Community, uh, or excuse me, Creative Action is another great group. Girls Empowerment Network. There's mm-hmm. a number of ways that you can plug in on that side of, of the equation.
0: On the other side, of the, or, or different side of the equation, what would, what would tip us off that there was something wrong about a business, about a situation? I mean, if a, if a young girl comes up and, and propositions me in my car, I know something's wrong. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But what, what do you look for or what would you tell people to look for and report to the authorities if they saw it?
1: I think one of the, the clearest signs is um, whether or not people are living where they're working. Um, if, if there's uh, a condition in which people are actually living uh, in that restaurant or living with 10 or 12 other people in a single hotel room and being shipped back and forth to a, a work site, um, those are some signs that, that would... Uh, I think, raise red flags. Um, I just had a conversation, actually, with a friend who um, had uh, one of her friends who was getting her nails done and began to ask some questions and realized, yeah, that, that woman is actually living in the back of this nail salon and thought, gosh, I better report that. And that's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. So the living um, where you work is one condition. I think any time that somebody uh, has a handler or somebody with them who uh, responds on their behalf, speaks for them, um, mm-hmm. whether it's because of a language barrier or because of some sort of power and control, oftentimes. Um, Sane nurses or emergency rooms are one of the places where victims of sex trafficking often have contact with the general public um, but if that young person may have somebody who's significantly older who appears in control of them and uh, that looks like a fishy situation, then I would report that tip and again that human trafficking hotline is one eight eight eight. Three seven three seven eight eight eight. You can call twenty four seven. Those calls are then uh, referred back to our local law enforcement, and I know for a fact that um, APD follows up on each of those tips. So when you do call, say something. It's important. We follow up on
0: those tips. Okay. And if for some reason they didn't get that number, what's your what's your website?
1: AlliesAgainstSlavery.org, okay. and you can find it there as well. And can,
0: you can help them then. There's one thing I want to be sure we talk about. You've been working on a movie, you and your sister. Tell, tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, the film project for uh, about three and a half years for me, almost four and a half for my sister Michelle. It's called Trade and Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, people can find out more at TradeandHope.com. Um, that was really the entry point for me into my work with Allies and in this community. We wanted to tell the story of... Uh, what was going on with domestic sex trafficking, the truth of of that, uh, really explore that, but also we wanted to tell the story of what people were doing about it. It was important for us Mm -hmm. to to paint a picture of solution and to really follow, we like to call them ordinary abolitionists or just ordinary heroes, right, who were Mm -hmm. stepping up to the plate to do something so that people wouldn't leave the film thinking, gosh, it's great that I know, but I still don't know what to do. We wanted to actually show people in action in one community building solution. So the film is in post-production. We're finishing up, and we have some finishing expenses and, and distribution expenses, but uh, we anticipate it being released later this year.
0: I look forward to it. So is there a separate Trade and Hope uh, website? or?
1: There is, tradeandhope.com. And um, my connection between Trade and Hope and Allies is that uh, many of the people who we were following, these leaders, uh, as we were documenting their work to build solution in our city, they were a part of allies. Mm-hmm. And so we were seeing this movement come together uh, around this
0: organization. Well, it's, uh, it's an incredible story. John, anything else that you'd, you'd want people to be sure know about Allies Against Slavery?
1: I would just uh, encourage people to connect with us. It's an extraordinary community. We leave our monthly meetings encouraged uh, every time, it's fun to connect with others who share that sort of passion, who want to work against injustice. And it helps because this is such a big issue and it can feel so discouraging and so dark that it helps to connect with others, uh, to encourage each other, and then to creatively face this problem and start to solve it. So I would encourage people to connect with us.
0: I think of John Perkins, his his, uh, consistent verse in all of his sermons is, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And so I think Allies is leading the way and doing a great job. John, uh, God bless you and all your friends that you're, you're working together here. And God bless the people that you'll keep out of slavery and the people that you bring out of it as well.
1: So Thanks, Larry. We, we do
0: pray God's, God's blessing on your efforts. What's the website again?
1: Allies Against Slavery.org.
0: Okay. Well, John, thanks for your time. It's been great to be with you. And thanks for folks uh, who've listened to us. We really appreciate you. We invite you again to support this radio program uh, through HillcountryInstitute.org. And we'll see you again. Thank you very much. Bye bye.